Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we are joined this week by my old friend, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who's going to break down UFC 279 with me, preview this coming week's card. Always a pleasure having Joe back into the mix when it comes to breaking down the big events. But unfortunately, we have to start with some sad news. Of course, you've heard by now that Canadian mixed martial artist uh, Elias Theodoru has passed away at age 34. Very, very sad turn of events. Very unexpected. Caught everybody in the world of mixed martial arts off guard as he didn't share this. The fact that he was struggling with cancer and battling cancer with very many people. I think if I had to guess why, it's because he didn't want people to feel sorry for him. He didn't want to make people feel sad. He was all about making people feel good. If you ever met Elias Theodoru, you were his world when you were with him. It was like nobody else on the planet existed. He was just that kind of guy. Always had a smile on his face. Always had a joke to tell. Wonderful sense of humor. And just a pleasure to be around. And as somebody who covers the sport in Canada and had the, the privilege of covering Elias, perhaps closer than any of my other peers, uh, I, I can say he had a profound impact on me, helped me out a lot early on in my career, was always around when I needed anything. Um, if I had that, any questions for him, he was always quick to respond to me via text message, and uh, the news of his passing has really resonated and made waves through the mixed martial arts world. Very unexpected and untimely passing at age 34. So, before we get into UFC 279 and all of the news and notes in the world of mixed martial arts, we're going to start out with this week's monologue focusing on Elias Theodoru and his legacy in mixed martial arts. Each and every week I record one of these videos. It's called The Monologue. I talk about whatever the hot button issues are in mixed martial arts. But today, after learning about the passing of Elias Theodoru, it wouldn't feel right for me to talk about Something along the lines of UFC 279 aftermath, all of the different things that happened that week. So I'm going to just speak from the heart about Elias Theodoru and what he meant to me as someone who covers the sport for a living. Now, before I started covering the sport, I used to book guests on a show called Off the Record with Michael Landsberg here in Canada. And that's where I first met Elias. I had brought him in to be a guest on the show. And when you first meet this guy, you look at him and you say, why would anybody who's as handsome as this guy, you wonder why he wanted to get punched in the face for a living why he chose this path and he was just great at it he started at age 21 he walked into a gym for the very first time total white belt and at age 25 he became the ultimate fighter and got a UFC contract it's just an unbelievable work ethic and drive that would allow somebody to accomplish something of that nature and Elias used to be a skateboarder he certainly wasn't a risk averse person but when I spoke to him behind the scenes back when I was booking that show, he talked about how he really viewed MMA as a chess match, how in none of his fights, he had boasted that he had never been hit in the head. He always wanted to make sure that he would take the path of least resistance to win fights and use his fight IQ to win. And he became one of the top 15 middleweights in the world, you know, one of the top 15 middleweights on the planet. After having such little experience in martial arts, Growing up, it was really something to behold that he was able to accomplish something along those lines and become a really successful mixed martial artist. But on top of that, 
he was just such a great guy. You know, he's not, a down-to-earth person. I had never met anybody and have never met anybody in mixed martial arts like Elias. Somebody who was always smiling, who always had a joke to tell, who would respond to every fan that sent him a message on Twitter or Instagram. He just really embraced what it was to be a fighter. But not just that, he also embraced his brand. He came from a marketing background and always talked to me about how important it was for him to do as much media as possible, to have as many projects on the go as possible. He's always had something going on, an acting gig or a modeling gig or so many different things that would allow him to be in the forefront. Got that he single-handedly got himself a sponsorship with Perp Plus and with all of these different companies just by being himself. And I always admired that about him because so many fighters, and this is not to take away from their careers, but they're so singularly focused on mixed martial arts and being a great fighter that sometimes they get so trapped in that that it becomes their identity. And they don't take the time to put effort into their brand and into building themselves in terms of the earning potential they have outside of the cage. And Elias was really, really sharp when it came to that. While dying at age 34 is a terrible, terrible thing. A total tragedy for anybody and for those around him, his friends, family, colleagues, training partners, coaches, etc. Nothing's going to make that less sad. But if there was a silver lining that we can get from Elias Theodoru, it's that he was able to accomplish something that he had set his mind to that was his life goal. And that wasn't becoming a martial artist or mixed martial artist or anything along those lines or becoming a champion. After he was released from the UFC, I spoke to him and he talked to me about how he had offers from all of these other major promotions. But fighting for those promotions and the money that he would get from fighting for those promotions was not at the top of his list of priorities. His number one priority was to get a therapeutic use exemption for cannabis, medical cannabis. There was a degenerative disorder that he had with his hand, a muscular issue that had plagued him. And the only thing that gave him any sort of pain relief was medical cannabis. And he worked with the UFC. This is actually while he was still with the UFC. He worked with USADA and the UFC to try to get that therapeutic use exemption. And in doing so, USADA basically told him, you need to try every other type of first-line medication for pain relief before we look into this therapeutic use exemption. So he went on antidepressants. He went on different painkillers, things like Vicodin, intense painkillers, addictive painkillers, so that he could prove that medical cannabis was his best mode of treatment for this degenerative issue he had with his hand. While he was unable to get the TUE from USADA while he was in the UFC, he was able to work with the commission in British Columbia and Canada and the commission in Colorado in the U.S. and become the first North American professional athlete to get a therapeutic use exemption in North America, both Canada and the U.S. And he wasn't able to do it until last year. He got his first one in Canada in 2021, early 2021, and his therapeutic use exemption in, in Colorado at the end of last year in December for his fight with Brian Baker. He won both of those fights, but I think the, the two fights that he won to get those therapeutic use exemptions meant a lot more to him than beating Matt Dwyer and Brian Baker. It was his mission to get that therapeutic use exemption because it would set a precedent for other athletes like him that relied upon medical cannabis for pain relief. If he was able to get these therapeutic use exemptions in Canada and the U.S., that it would set that precedent for other athletes. And his legacy that he always wanted, years and years of resources and time that he poured into getting this therapeutic use exemption, was to get them in order for other athletes to benefit from it in the future. And even though... He's no longer with us, that at age 34 he passed away. 
this is his legacy and he was able to achieve that in his lifetime. He was able to take that goal and it took him years and years. And again, being a, a kind of a guinea pig with all of these other frontline medications to prove that this was his best method for pain relief. So if we learn anything from this and if we're able to take anything positive away from losing this great individual so young due to cancer that has affected everybody's lives, it's that we're able to take away that he was able to accomplish his mission before he passed. He was able to do that and open the door for other athletes like him in the future and make it easier on them. His death last night kept me up at night and kept me on my phone and, and seeing the tributes pour in and seeing, seeing that everybody who had met him had the same experiences as I did, where when you're in the room with Elias Theodoro, you are everything to him in that moment. He was always joking around, always had a smile on his face. He was such a unique person in mixed martial arts, and I'll miss him. I was backstage at UFC 279 with Caroline Pierce from BT Sport, and she told me a story that Elias, I thought, would have found hilarious. She visited a friend, and a friend said she had just started talking to someone online that she was really connecting with. And she showed Caroline the pictures of this man, and it was a guy using Elias's picture on his dating profile. Now, catfishing is not a joke, but I said to Caroline, you know, I haven't spoken to Elias in a while. You know, I'm going to call him on Monday or text him and tell him the story and, and maybe book an interview with him to see what's going on with him and, and what's going on in his life. But little did we know that in his life, he was struggling. He was battling stage four liver cancer. And uh, I spoke to his representative yesterday and he had only told a handful of people. Uh, she was one of them. And she told me that he wanted to keep it private and she was trying to reach him the last couple of days and, and he wasn't responding to her and she knew that that was unlike him and that, that maybe something was up. So to Elias Theodore's family, to his friends, to his coaches, teammates, everybody, my deepest condolences on his loss. His loss is a huge loss to not only them, but to the mixed martial arts community. He was a one-of-a-kind athlete, and he will be sadly dearly missed. That was the monologue on the tragic passing of Elias Theodoru, and uh, I'm joined now by someone who Elias was fairly close with as well, uh, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. And uh, Joe, obviously, it's hard to segue into UFC 279. We won't do that right away because I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, Elias and what he meant to you, your experiences with him, if you have any fun stories you'd like to share, anything along those lines. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Elias to me was uh, a lot of things. I mean, I think uh, as a friend, as a, a colleague in the sport, and as someone who in his rise, my rise was happening at the same time. So we kind of both had, we'd go to events and they'd be like, oh, there's Bazooka and Elias. And we'd always see each other and always positive, nice, smiley, interactive with people. Um, and we always had conversations on, what are we doing outside of the sport to build the brand? And I think that was one of his best things um, as a mixed martial artist. He was always promoting himself as to sponsors, always good with his social media to get sponsors. He understood um, life outside of the ring. And I think he really used the UFC you know, as a platform to build himself. I believe he was on The Amazing Race doing stuff like that. Um, to the uh, cannabis exemptions to just he stood up for things um, but to me it was more when I saw him and hung out with him it was never really in like a training setting but it was more of we saw each other at the bar and we had a blast together he was always the life of the party and uh, just a, a fun person I'm glad to have shared many moments with yeah I think the two of you have a lot in common like you're both very laid back both very friendly 
you know, you would never look at either of you guys and think, you know, those are people that should be getting punched in the face for a living. Both yeah. very handsome gentlemen. But uh, yeah. also, you know, just uh, I don't think you'll find a lot of people that have bad things to say about Bazooka Joe or Elias. Yeah. You guys are just yeah. great ambassadors for the sport and what the sport should be about, which is, you know, sportsmanship and uh, camaraderie and not taking things too seriously. And also, like you said, kind of the, the brand building that I guess both of you guys do. Like you, you were proactive when you were a fighter to reach out to me when I was booking guests for off the record. Yeah. Um, and so was he, you know, he's, he was a guy that really recognized the importance of, of building one's brand outside of the cage and using the promotion and the career as a platform. Uh, and he still did, is doing it even in depth, you know, starting new foundations and things of things like that. So he'll be missed. I, you know, he, uh, to me, he's, one of the pioneers of Canadian mixed martial arts, even though he got is kind of a second generation star, uh, I still think that he needs to be recognized as one of the best Canadians to ever do it. He was a top fifteen middleweight in the promotion, uh, in the rankings. So I think that we need to, uh, you know, just celebrate his life because that's what he would want. I don't think he wants us to be groveling about it for too long. But uh, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday, Joe, and I'm still rattled. I just I, I can't wrap my head around how someone so young and healthy. You know, it just goes to show that cancer is, it's no joke. I mean, it's the best, the only way I can really put it. Yeah, I mean, uh, just leaving us speechless. And it still makes me, you know, happy and proud to see, like, people, like, from all over the world. And people I didn't even know who knew Elias were posting about him. So that's how much of an influence he made. Like, my uh, Jason Park, you know, from California, he's posting pictures. John Wayne Parr, and we had pictures with him. I was like, he, from Australia to California to Vegas, like, he just was everybody enjoyed his company and his uh, his presence. So, I mean, just it was really uh, warm to see how well liked and loved he was. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, yeah, like I said, I don't think you're, you're going to find anybody in the sport who has a, a negative thing to say about Elias. He just. He he would tell me about how he'd be at the bar, and uh, someone would say, you know, if someone was trying to start trouble with him, not knowing that he was a UFC fighter, and his immediate response would always be to be like, hey, you know, let's let's have some drinks together, and he'd buy everybody, at, you know, at yeah. the bar oh, drinks yeah. just to like kind of settle things down and calm it down because he wasn't the fighter outside of the octagon, right? Like he he wasn't the guy who uh, was looking for for fights. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I can say it now. It's legal. But I think the last time I saw Elias, we shared uh, uh, a shot and cannabis after a BTC event. So that was a nice little memory that I had with him. Two things he enjoyed to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, always fun uh, when I was around him. Absolutely. Well, hard to uh, go from that to UFC 279, but I uh, just got back from Vegas. That's actually when I found out about Elias was I landed in Toronto and uh, our colleague James Lynch uh, sent me a message saying, have you heard anything about Elias? And I, I was just hoping he was uh, he was hearing bad info. Like, I, I just yeah. I didn't know what to think. Because he had only told a handful of people, apparently, that uh, he was battling uh, cancer. For, and for you never time. expect it from someone right. so healthy, young, and an athlete. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, rest in peace, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he will be missed. And uh, his visitation is today in uh, in Mississauga. Um, I don't know. By, by the time this podcast comes out, probably it'll have already happened. But, uh, you know, condolences to his his family, friends, training partners, everybody. Um, so I guess no easy way to segue into UFC 279, but we'll try um, because first and foremost, this is a, 
uh, a, a mixed martial arts show in terms of the entire big picture. Obviously, Elias is part of that as well. Um, did you uh, did you get a chance to watch it? Were you watching it live? Well, obviously, you got a chance to watch it. Otherwise, you'd say, Aaron, I can't do the show with you because I got nothing to talk <laughs> about. But what did you think about the event? I thought it was I was honestly more into the stuff around the event. So, I mean, I think I'm really interested to hear uh, your take since you were there and uh, seeing you in the videos and uh, live trying to get answers from Dana White. You're sneaky there. Aaron. I think we need to get you in the police force. I liked it. What was sneaky uh, about it? I have to. It was just he did. He refused to answer what happened. And you were trying other. It was a scrum and you were trying to like. And then well, all of I a saw sudden what put, happened, Joe. I saw what happened. So you like, were just trying to get him to say it, but he wouldn't. And then finally you went with the line that said, hey, listen, someone posted this on Twitter. Is this true? Like so-and-so said it on Twitter. And then he said, yes. And so he and finally you true, got him to admit it. Because I saw it. I was there. I was 30 feet away from it. Yeah, you got him <laughs> to admit it. And I was like, yes, Aaron, you got him. It was like a CSI show. I got excited. Well, because – well, here's the thing. And I didn't really share this on social media. But when we cover UFC events, we're bound to an agreement, like a – guidelines so when i'm backstage i'm not really supposed to be reporting on anything that's ha anything that happens backstage right like i have my camera pointed at the backdrop and whatever happens there is what i can talk about but if i see something crazy happen backstage and that's why i have to be very vague on social media i said i've never seen anything like this before yeah. and then people are like oh you're overreacting and blah blah, blah. I'm, I'm like how am i overreacting if i say i've never seen anything like this before that's my vantage point like it's not an overreaction. Yeah. It just is what it is. So I can go into more detail on that too. But uh, so basically, on Thursday, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was two guys. It was guys yelling at each other when yeah, you break that's it what all I figured. down. Guys yelling at each other. A little bit of uh, physicality of a physical altercation between Holland and Hamzat. But watching it happen in real time, you knew that one. It was a couple seconds away, or a couple little things away from completely combusting, like from being. The, the security guards were, were all um, outmanned. Like, there were more fighters back there than there were security. And if it got ugly, it could have gotten ugly really, really fast. And that's why the press conference was canceled. It's because they, were, they had to be really careful that things didn't erupt into the crowd or, like, or a riot started. You know, like, it, it was really close to getting there. And I think that's what people don't really understand when they look at it and say, ah, oh, it doesn't seem like it was that big of a deal. It wasn't, but it could have been very quickly. Yeah. 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 Now, do you think, uh, I, I know it's funny cause I, I heard you on the Anakin Florian talking about this conspiracy, like they knew this was going to happen and they kind of knew this was pre-planned. Yeah. That's what I thought. I mean, come on. It's, yeah. it's listen again, I will say I saw it all happen in real time. They didn't put out a video really of the whole thing. So if it was staged, wouldn't you want to get a bunch of different angles? Wouldn't you want to have a bunch of embedded cameras back there and, and, and use it as promotional material? But the question is nobody saw it. Like you saw it there. No one pulled out their phone and showed video of the big controversy. People did, or... but they weren't allowed to put it out. Like they were asking no one leaked it, it. You know, you would have thought it was been leaked. We saw trolleys being thrown. So I think that's where people are like, come on, no one had their phone out. It's 2022. Yeah. But again, like we were bound to certain guidelines backstage that – uh we just, you know, I, I know somebody got some of it. Like, I saw some folks from ESPN had it on their phones, but, like, I, I think that they had to find out if they were allowed to use it because, again, you're bound to an agreement yeah. when, you're, when you're there covering the event. So it, it puts us in a tough spot, and it, it's put me in a really tough spot because I'm at the scrum asking questions, and I know what happened, but I'm yeah, trying to get yeah. him to just say what happened. But <laughs> so, the other reporters knew as well? No, they didn't. They were out on the floor. 
Okay. Right? Like, only a handful of, of people are in the backstage area. It's, like, partners. So it was, like, me and the guy from ESPN Deportes, Carlos Contreras Legaspi, was there. And uh, that's about it. I think Megan had le- Megan wasn't there that day. Um, so I just, I don't even know. Like, I can't even tell you how many people were actually back there, aside from, like, the PR team. Uh, some of the PR team, because some of them were out on the floor also. So it just wasn't that many people there. Um and uh, I appreciate everybody who checked on me afterwards and was like, hey, uh, <laughs> you are you okay? It's like, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. fine. But like, it, it could have been bad. That's all That's all I can say about it, really, is that it wasn't bad, but it could have been. Yeah, yeah. Now, in my opinion, the fight got, card got better because of this. I thought the matchups were better. Um, I thought it was more competitive. And I thought this should have been the original fight card. What was the uh, the take at the in Vegas, uh? Well, I couldn't really tell you what it is in Vegas, but I think that a, a lot of the community would echo that. The way that I put it was, if you have, first off, we saw what Shamayev did to Holland. If you have any sort of illusion that Nate Diaz would have beaten that version of Hamzat Shamayev that we saw on Saturday, yeah. I don't really know what to tell you. Yeah. But here's what could have happened if the event stayed the same. Nate could have gotten completely you know, destroyed by Shamayev in the first two minutes of that fight like Holland was. And Li Jing Lang could have completely destroyed Ferguson. Like that version of Ferguson, I don't think beats Li Jing Lang. Yeah. So yeah. now you it have fans leaving the arena with like two folk heroes of MMA getting crushed. Like that, that is a potential outcome that could have happened. And people would have left like kind of disappointed, right? Of course. This time around, you have Diaz versus Ferguson. And really... There's not really a worst-case scenario for that fight. Like, if Diaz wins, fans are happy. If Ferguson wins, fans, I'm sure, are happy for him, too. These are guys that everybody really likes. Fan favorites. You got two fan favorites, both around the same age, facing one another. Long-time UFC veterans. It's a much better fight, a much more competitive fight. It gives everybody a chance to shine. Now, I don't think that we got to see the best of all of these fighters because they were less than 24 hours, or basically, you know, about 24 hours uh from finding out they had a new opponent and having different style, crazy different stylistic matchups. Um, Diaz had a, a much different stylistic matchup. Ferguson doesn't have a lot of experience facing southpaws and has to face it one on, on 24 hours notice. Jing Liang has to take a 10 pound deficit against his opponent. Holland has to face, go from facing a, a striker, striker to facing yeah. one of the best like grapplers yeah. in the sport right now in terms of, in terms of his aggressive wrestling. Um, so, you know, I feel like all three of those fights kind of suffered as a result, but at the same time, I feel like the outcomes of them were better than what the potential outcomes could have been had they been facing their original opponents. Yeah, no, no that makes sense. I think Kevin Holland would have got the worst end of this all. I think you know, Lee I did. Think, I think Lee pardon did. me? I think Lee, Lee did? got the, the worst well, end. Well, I mean, if he would have got the win, and then I would have said, okay, you know, because he got... The decision was questionable, let's be honest, but I think Kevin Holland having to go against Shamayev, I think... We know his wrestling isn't good. That's the whole storyline of Kevin Holland. His wrestling's no good. He needs to wrestle more. DC talks about it. He goes to DC. Then he put him against one of the most aggressive wrestlers. And I think Kevin Holland, he just uh, took one for the team and almost like, yeah, you know, I'll try. You know, he he didn't look very confident even in his answers. His answers like, I don't know, but I'm going to try at least. Well, you know, I think he just accepted it. I'll just say this. He got paid. He got paid. Yeah, and I hope so. But when I saw the payouts, it didn't look like you got paid that well. No I hope there's the payouts aren't public, Joe. Whatever you're seeing is wrong. Okay, because I've seen two different ones. 
You know, someone's predicting Nate made five million. I saw a hundred grand for Kevin Holland. No, like if not, Kevin Hunt, no, no, no. if no, no, he made a hundred grand, he I'm made, like he better. He made way he more than hundred grand. Than that. Wait, made way more. In fact, the the deal to face Shemaev wasn't even signed at, at ceremonial weigh-ins. Like they were still working on it. They were waiting on the contract and making sure that the numbers were right. And he, there was a chance if those numbers didn't come through, he would have been pulled from the card by his manager. Like, yeah, because I know Oren and I saw, and I know Kevin. And I was following them, and I saw Holland doing the he called it the money dance. Yeah. So I was like, "You're doing the money dance, hopefully for more than a hundred grand." Yeah, Oren doesn't mess around. I mean, yeah, this guy has his, I feel his like. fighter's best interests at heart. He's one of the uh, I, I, he's a guy that nobody really talks about. He doesn't do any interviews or anything. Oren Hodak, he's quiet, he's solid, yeah. solid manager and uh, straight shooter. So I like that guy. But uh, yeah, he 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 moved to the co-main event. Li Jinglang had to face a guy who was ten pounds heavier than him. He was supposed to face Ferguson, who was one of his heroes and is really popular in China, apparently. Um, but this, this, according to Brett Okamoto, he put out a great piece today about all the background and how this whole, whole fight card was saved. But uh, Li Jingleng said, like, yeah, I'll fight him. It was a 10-pound deficit, lesser opponent, lower on the card. I think that he is the one who really made the sacrifices to make all of this happen. Yeah, and I... My, it makes me laugh, though. A part of the big storyline of the press conference is how upset uh, Li Jingliang was that he had a new suit and couldn't wear it. Yeah, I can't stop laughing that keep, people keep bringing it up. So I even saw him on Hawaii wear the jacket just to get use out of the suit. <laughs> well, I asked him about it uh, when I interviewed him on Friday, and uh, he complimented my suit. So I'm always appreciative. There you that. go. Yeah, the three. You had your checker tie, I'm assuming. Uh, is, what did I che- have on Friday? You always had the some checkered. You always have some checkered on. No, not always. Not the shirt. Always. I no. Had my, I had my blue suit, my blue linen suit, with I think a white shirt and a blue tie. Blue no checks. Tie. No checks now. Oh, throwing sometimes, everybody sometimes up. I, checks, but yeah. I thought you were a check guy. Yeah, on occasion. I I, I shake it up. I I don't. There uh, you go. Hey. I don't have a a brand when it comes to uh, suits. I mean, whatever looks nice. Okay. Yeah. But I like to mix and match. I like to – sometimes I'll do a different color jacket than lowers, but you don't see the lowers on TV so it's, or in any, any of these interviews. So that's just me being stylish in person for, for the people, the people that's, that get to see me that's on site. It. Just before this uh, – our call here, my suit guy called me. My new suit is ready, so I got to do one more fitting for it. I got to look good. Botter and Overeem is coming October 8th, so I need to make sure I look that's good for that coming. one. You know what? I was on Twitter today. And people were like, nobody's talking about the fact that Triple G and, and Canelo's this weekend. And I was like, Triple G and Canelo's this weekend? I didn't even know. And that's a it's fight funny I've been you looking brought that up. To. That was me yesterday. That was me yesterday. I asked my young kid, I was like, what boxing fights? I haven't heard of any fights. He's like, Triple G, Canelo's this weekend. I was like, what? This weekend? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Jeez. That nah. one snuck up on us. Yeah. Fell under the radar. And now they're trying to make Joshua versus Fury. I, Joshua just lost twice in a row. Yeah. Why I don't know Usyk what's going Fury? I guess just for the the UK fans to blow things up. There's promoters involved. I don't know how boxing works, man. Like, I I almost feel embarrassed to admit that I didn't know that Triple G and Canelo was this Saturday, but I also don't cover boxing, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah not. So you know. I didn't even know, so don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. So the main event, Diaz versus Ferguson. What did you think about it? Because it seemed like it was a pretty sloppy main event, all things considered. But it was kind of what you would hope would have hoped for out of a fight between these two guys. Yeah, almost exactly that. I mean. It wasn't the most technically pleasing, but I think both of those guys just wanted to put on entertaining fight. The swinging, the slugging. I don't know what this this weird like turning our backs and if it's I a little was Ferguson, too much. I would have thrown me. head kicks, man. Like you yeah, can't just let something. him walk away. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I, I enjoyed Ferguson. I was like, when I saw his shin split open, I was like, oh, there goes his whole best game, the weapons. But he still kept chopping away at it with the cut up shin. That's why I thought him shooting was stupid because he was still being successful, even with the cut shin. Yeah, I had so. Diaz up 3 nothing going into the fourth, but it was a very close fight. Like, all three of those rounds could have gone either way. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked for some reason when I was just putting a little parlay together. I put Ferguson, but I'm like, I forgot he's moving up and weight a little. And I was just like, why did I pick him? I don't know. I was just feeling him. I thought uh, I thought Nate Diaz was checked out in all of his interviews. So I'm like, I don't know if he's going to really put too much training into it. So, But, uh, yeah, Ferguson just showed he's tough, but Nate still has something in him. Yeah, he did. Now I don't know what's next for him. Personally, I think his best earning potential is still in the UFC, but I guess we'll have to see what happens with this Jake Paul boxing match against Anderson. I don't know if that's what he's looking at as the a Jake Paul boxing match. Uh, yeah. You know who you know who should be throwing big money at him, in my opinion? Triller. The PFL Triller <laughs> doesn't have money to throw at anybody. They're they're drowning right they now. They used to. I'm not mentioning Triller to. ever again. Okay. My bad. They're getting sued. They they're out of money. They're not putting out they're done. They're done. Triller is done. If they come back and are able to put on more events in the future that are like have any sort of success, I'll eat my words. But I, I think that, that this is, I think the thriller that that ship has uh, the day is done. But yep. uh, I would, if I'm the PFL and I'm putting together a pay per view division, I co promote with Nate. Say, hey, listen, you can put your real fight ink on. We'll put it on the billboards. Like we want you to fight in the PFL. Get, you'll get a big purse, and we'll have you face whatever somebody like Ray Cooper or something. I don't know. Yeah. Pettis is 155, like a, a Pettis fight or something He's like that. He's fought Pettis He beat Pettis. That's his last win before this Ferguson win with Pettis. Mm. So, I mean, that's still a fight they could make. Do it at 170 pounds. Um, I guess it was I think it was 170 last time, too, with Nate. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just put Nate. Nate's going to sell. So if you're the PFL and you're really serious about launching a pay-per-view division, I mean, it seems like there's an opportunity there if you have the money, if you can put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Is the best move for him if you're managing him? Hopefully, get him a, a Jake Paul, then kind of do something, some boxing. I think that's his best move. Yeah. I feel like that's what he wants. I think Anderson's going to beat Jake Paul. I don't know what's going to happen from there. Yeah, I heard Dean Thomas say that he feels that Anderson's going to back out and Nate's going to jump in. That was his his I weird call. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I doubt that's it. What he said. I think Anderson uh, is is probably uh, wanting that payday. So, um, I I if. Jake Paul beats Anderson. If he like knocks Anderson out, I'm gonna be very sad. Like that'll be a sad day for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't even want to predict that. I can't even predict. I don't think so. I'm hoping Anderson. I'll but, be betting uh, money on Anderson on Anderson Silva. Yeah, I have to. So too, it's either but... gonna be a very happy night or a very very sad night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you think Nate Diaz gets Connor? Did they do the last one? I don't know. Does I it mean, matter? I was asked about Nate Diaz yesterday at uh, Contender Series. He didn't sound, sound all that gung-ho about bringing Nate back to the UFC. didn't seem like it was a priority. I think Nate does what Nate wants to do. I don't think Dana, no matter what he wants to do, I don't think it matters. Well, yeah, I guess if he calls the UFC and he's like, hey, I want to come back, one fight deal against Conor, we'll, we'll do the trilogy. There's money involved, and I think that's really what uh, it comes down to. I think money always will um, take precedent over pride when it comes to the UFC let's see i just want i just been a fan of nate diaz and uh i just like what he does i just i i don't care if it's sloppy i don't care if it's boxing i just his energy he doesn't give a crap about anything it's just it's refreshing because to me he's the last of the old school you know and uh i appreciate the old school style and in the co-main event hamza chemayev he misses weight by seven and a half pounds ends up being relegated to the co-main event against kevin holland but if you're gonna 
walk onto the scale smiling like he did and, and you know, kind of turn your back on things and act the way that you're going to act by missing weight. At least fight like that. At least get a yeah, win like yeah. that where you can silence every single doubter out there. It's like, what, the fourth fight in the UFC where he's landed, like, where he's absorbed, like, one or less strikes? It's like, it's ridiculous, yeah, this yeah. guy. Yeah, I didn't love that confidence, like, the way his his energy on stage. You should be a little bit more, like, listen, I'm sorry, guys. Um, it is what it is. Like, even the post-fight with Rogan, I was like, man, him and Trudeau must be hanging out. They don't answer one question. They just fluff around everything, but they won't answer one question. So it's like, just give us an answer. Just say sorry. We just want everybody just wants you to say sorry. It's not going to happen again. That's all we wanted. Then move on and smash everybody, kill everybody. But just you're sorry for that one split second. That's all I want. I think people wanted to hear. I have heard that Hamza Shumayev and Justin Trudeau are dear friends. So I mean, yeah, I was assuming so. Yeah, they hope he's helping him with his English and the way to. Questions. Now, Trudeau's actually helping him with his boxing. Trudeau, uh, oh, yeah, he was a great boxer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's one fight I'd like if we ever want to get me on a YouTube thriller. If Triller's back, that's the fight. You heard it here You're first. Joe wants to fight Kamzak Shemaev on Triller. Yeah, then Trudeau next. <laughs> you got to give me both. That's my comeback. That's my dream comeback right there. I think you'd my rather the Jake match. Paul fight. If they offered you both of them, you'd probably, which one would you take? You get paid. One Trudeau free, or Jake one, Paul? Yeah, Trudeau, you don't get paid. But Jake Paul, you get paid like $3 million. Oh, yeah, I don't care about Trudeau that much. Okay. So, yeah, I'm taking three mil. Okay. I mean, I would care about him too much, but yeah. Yeah, three mil. I you like don't strike me as a very political I can guy. Move. I can move out of Canada and get away from him. We'll, we'll move on to uh, Daniel Rodriguez against Legion. I mean, is there anything else to say about Shemaev? Who do you think he should fight next? I mean, his coach is saying maybe 185, but to me, if he really still wants to stay a welterweight, have him face the winner of Bilal and Sean Brady. I said that on Anakin Florian as well. I just think that's the fight that's kind of staring us in the face because those guys, are, I think, are next in line behind Shemaya for the title. Well, I personally think the missed weight class, okay, shouldn't give him to a title fight right away. Like, I thought if he would have done great work, then you could say, okay, let's give you for a title shot, whatever, whether it's Leon, Kamaru. But I think he needs to do the steps now. So I think he's got to prove he can make 170. Um, so I like the winner of Brady or Bilal. Um, I do. I know that everyone's talking Colby. I don't mind that. And then I think you give him the title shot. So I think you gotta. He's got to prove at least one more time that he can get to 170. One thing people are completely ignoring. I haven't heard a single person say it yet. Hamza Shemaev debuted on July 16th, 2020, against John Phillips in a middleweight bout. Ten days later, he fought and made weight for a welterweight fight against Reese McKee. Ten days hmm. after fighting at middleweight, which means that in a middleweight fight, he was probably one. 95 at the lowest on that night. So 10 days later, he made that weight. So while he does have this anomaly of missing weight this last fight, this isn't a guy who chronically misses weight. Give him another shot, I think. If he wants to stay at 170, have him face the winner. And, you know, Dana was saying that when he landed in Vegas, he was on the targeted weight that he was supposed to be on to make 170 pounds. And just the weight cut just went awry, which can happen from time to time. But, yeah, you know, if he misses weight again, sure, maybe make him move up to middleweight. But it seems like he wants to stay at welterweight is where he's ranked right now. And that's why I say I agree with you. Don't have him fight for the title right away. Have him prove that he can make the weight against the winner of Bilal and Sean Brady. I think that's the, the fight to make. It's not the juiciest fight, but it's a good way for Shemaev to show that he can, A, face a top guy again at welterweight, um, and B that he can make the weight. So let's see how let's see what happens, but that's what I would do. 
Yeah, it just seems seven and a half pounds. It's a lot. Like, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Like, you, it's, you didn't just miss. You really missed, oh, yeah. you he, know? Like, it's, really it's not like you were close. Like, I mean, it's like you weren't even close. So, I mean, I'm sure there was some, definitely the way they're saying those medical issues, his body just shut down. But, uh, yeah, maybe he's getting bigger, older. It's just things will be harder and harder. So, he probably has to rush this 170 title by because in a couple of years, it'll probably be even harder for him. Daniel Rodriguez defeats Li Jingling. Um, I did an interview during one of the rounds of this fight, so I don't have a very strong opinion on the scorecards. From what I saw, it looked like Li Jingling was winning that fight, but I, yeah, you know, I can't. I didn't go back and watch it, so I can't really comment on the scorecards. It did seem like a lot of people thought Li Jingling won that fight, though. Yeah, I was biased. I had uh, Daniel Rodriguez, so I was cheering him on my parlay. So I was like, yeah, I was ended up cheering, but uh, yeah, no, I mean. You, you it were was sweating though when that close. decision was being read, I'm sure. I was definitely sweaty. I thought I thought he lost. I was disappointed at the end. So it was more like the surprise victory, which was good. But uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think Daniel Rodriguez is just he's just missing one little thing that makes him really good, you know, that's gonna really make him pop and shine. I don't know if it's uh, a little bit more power, a little bit more aggression. I don't know what it is, but he's just missing that little pop to me that's gonna really get him in that top five kind of thing position. Yeah. Well, he's going to um, have some more fights hopefully soon. He he was very active before he got injured, and then he's had to take a year off. Um, but he's a, he's a fun fighter to watch. And I think that when he is matched up against somebody who, again, he's more prepared for, I think he'll look a little bit better than he did over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, just the leech, too. I mean, he just brings the aggression and just put him in fun fights. I think these guys are... Together, they didn't put the most exciting a fight together. It was kind of pretty boring, but uh, I don't know. I guess just with all the changes, the weight changes, Legion Liang couldn't really commit. He's hitting a bigger guy. If he gets hit now, there's more risk. So I didn't think we got to see the best of either of them. Yeah, and Rodriguez backstage afterwards said to me he had trouble getting up for the fight. He, you yeah. know, he, he felt grateful for Legion Liang taking the fight, but uh, also wasn't, you know, hadn't fought for a while, so he felt a little bit rusty. So, you know, he, I think that. Next time he fights, if it's a matchup that he's actually more prepared for, I think he'll look better. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah. the probably the best highlight of the night, Irina Aldana defeats Macy Chason with an upkick to the liver. Shuts yeah. it down. Yeah. Pretty unbelievable win. In fact, Irina had no idea what had happened. I asked her afterwards. I go, did you, like, what did you think happened? She goes, I, think I, I thought I might have hit her in the groin. I thought the referee was calling a timeout to, like, that I had fouled her. She had no idea. So it's not yeah, like she had yeah. calculated this like incredible move. She just happened to have incredible precision to happen to hit the exact right spot in that situation. Yeah, I know when she was asked, oh, did you practice? Yes, we practiced. Like, no, you did not. Don't lie to us now. You did not practice this. You do not do this. That was just, I'm going to say it. It was a luckier hit. You hit the bullseye. You basically were just threw a dart at the dartboard, and it just happened to hit the red bullseye. Like, it's a great shot. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But don't lie to me and tell me you practiced that. I mean, I'm sure there's – you heel strike the body just to create space and to push off, to try to grab. But, no, you didn't ever – you never thought about that. Hey, I'm going to one day finish somebody. Let's practice this move. I'm the last if guy she- to ever call something a lucky shot. Yeah. That was a lucky shot. Because she yeah, didn't even course. know. Like she, after yeah. the fact, when I asked her, she had no idea what had happened. So, yeah. I mean, that's like, the definition Leon of Edwards, a lucky that shot. That is not lucky. Not lucky. Leon Edwards' head kick, not lucky. This shot, I like you said, yeah, it's not lucky, but it is the luckier of the shots there's, that would there's land. There's still a degree of skill in both of those situations. Yeah. Now, I, do I think that Leon Edwards set that up? 
I don't know. Maybe maybe he'd seen something, and uh, I think they had talked about it before. Irene didn't set this one up. It, yeah. it was just good. It was power. It was precision, and she hit the right spot. So there, you can't create luck without the skill. That's the way I'll yeah, put it. Exactly, exactly. But yes, it, it was. She just so happened to hit the bullseye. I had no idea what happened either. I was like, "There's no way that like you have to see it in slow motion." Like you had no. I was like, "Is this a?" And I don't want to sound you know in, in any way, but I'm like, "Does a low blow hurt that much?" It's like, did something hit weird and like on an odd angle? Did it like? Because and again, women a lot of time fight with groin protection, right? So I don't know. If something hit wrong or wrong angles, and so that was my first uh, interpretation. Yeah, it was uh, it was odd. It was just weird to see. Uh, but I mean, credit to her. I, that's uh, that's one heck of a shot. <laughs> yeah, first first it. one ever. Yeah, no first one ever. I don't think I don't think I've seen anything like that in, in any, any league, any promotion. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it's I. happened, but I've never seen it. Yeah, jeez. Like we, I, I'm surprised we don't see more upkick knockouts to the face. I think we've seen a couple of them we've in the UFC. One of the, but... one of the best ones ever. Uh, Gegard Mousasi against Jacques Array in Dream. Was it upkick or more up like a heel strike? It was an upkick. Jacques Array was coming in, and he hit him. Perfect knockout. Smack. Hit him perfectly in the face. One of my favorite knockouts of all time. Yeah, no, it's, I'm surprised they don't happen more. That's for sure. Johnny Walker defeats Iwan Kutelaba. First round submission. Johnny Walker looks very good. And... After the fight, when I was talking to him, like this, this is a guy who, he was very honest. He said basically, in his previous fights, he felt unprepared. He like had a, he had mentally convinced himself he was not prepared for the fights, and he said, "I worked so hard in this camp that I, I would leave no doubt in my mind that I was prepared." Like he said, that's what he said. He said like huh. it was just work, 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 and he said that it was the easiest fight of his career as a result. Yeah, I saw like when I was uh, putting my bets together for this card. I was like Johnny Walker plus 185. Yeah, I think I got him at 175. I called all my friends who I know who bet. I said, put it on Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker, Johnny Johnny Walker. Walker. I'm like, you want the easiest money of your life, almost two to one, Johnny Walker. I literally, I'm like, I had to double check that that was plus 185. When I saw it, I was like, I'm surprised he's the underdog. I thought he'd be, I thought it would be closer to even, if anything. Me too. Slight favorite, Johnny Walker, if anything. When I saw plus 185, I was like, put the house on it, drop everything you got. You know, that, that's the easiest pick for me. It was, it was like a no brainer. Yeah. So kudos to Johnny Walker. That was a great performance. The submission prop, I think, was like 18 to 1 or something along those lines, too. So. But, like, you could put Johnny Walker now for a title fight, and he'll have a great chance of winning. Like, that's what I don't – like, I don't know. Like, how would he do against Yuri? Great. He would do fantastic yeah, against Yuri, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he would. His style, his length, his unorthodox striking. I just think he's difficult for anybody is my main point. Just like Yuri is. He's just a difficult, tall, rangy, hard, weird power, can hit you with his legs, his elbow. He'll spin. He'll be just unpredictable. Yeah, I feel like Yuri was like the best case scenario of what everybody hoped Johnny Walker would be. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. 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 Julian Arosa, this guy just keeps crushing Canadian featherweights, defeats Hakeem Dawoodoo, who was, I think, his two fights before that, he had beaten Charles Rodin. I said to Arosa when he came up to me afterwards, I go, I'm Canadian and I'm in the, feather, I, I'm in the featherweight weight limit right now. Please don't hurt me. And he, yeah, yeah. he goes, No, I love Canadians. I train with them all the time. He's a really super nice guy, actually. I'd never met him before, I don't think. Um, but yeah, heck of a win for him. I mean, he didn't leave any doubt in that one. Yeah, he was a, he was the big underdog too. I mean, I still can't believe Hakeem can make featherweight the size I mean, of him. Way. How did he? Yeah, he was one hundred forty nine okay. and a half. 
Yeah, that made sense because I was like, he's on the massive. There was not a half pound to shed there. Like, he no, was, like I see he, him like outside of camp, like because we follow each other on Instagram. I'm like, what, 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 what's coming off of you right now? Like how you're thick, your shoulders, your chest, your quads. I was like, damn, man. Like, and I, I was watching. I was like, you looking thick. I was wondering. Eh, made sense now. He's, yeah. he's a little bit small for 55, right? Like he's probably yeah. about five six, five seven. I mean, I, I stand next to him, and he, we're around the same height. But yeah, no, he's. Uh, I'm not even taller than him. He'll is. bounce he back. At? He'll bounce back. Listed at five eight, yeah. So he's about him and I are the same height. In a weird way, Hakeem's been in the UFC for a while, but he's still developing. He's still young in the game. I feel. I mean, he was a a kickboxer his entire life, so he's still probably learning the wrestling game a little bit more. But every time I see him on Instagram, I don't see him wrestling. So hopefully, he's still yeah. rep- wrestling and grappling this a little. Was mostly contested on the feet too, right? Like, yeah. Or maybe he's over grappling because his striking should be top five level, in my opinion. Yeah, I I just think that he got himself into a brawl. He was. Feeding into what Arosa was, like Arosa baited him into a brawl, and he was like, "Now nah, I can beat this guy up." And then, he, you know, it took took a lot of his technical prowess away. Yeah, yeah, because I'm telling you, his striking before he even got to uh, the UFC, nobody wanted to fight him. It was almost impossible to get him fights with his kickboxing pedigree. So, yeah, he'll bounce back. I can promise that. One name to remember going forward, if you hadn't already heard of him, Jailton Almeida defeats the Pleasure Man. Antoine Turcali, uh, by submission, uh, Almeida's a problem. I mean, he's he wants to bounce between 205 and heavyweight. This is what I what had hoped Antonio Carlos Jr. would do when he won the Ultimate Fighter. His grappling was so ahead of everybody else at heavyweight. He was small for heavyweight, but his grappling was just so far ahead. I think Almeida at heavyweight, like he's just gonna sub everybody. Yeah, that's the the two I haven't I didn't get to watch that I have to ask you about would be him and uh, Chris Barnett fight. But uh, I hear so much praise about Almeida, like it's incredible, like the next thing almost. But he's an older guy, isn't he? Um, I I don't think he's that old. I think he's probably like thirty two, maybe. Is that? Oh no, he's he's only twenty nine. He just looks older than he, he, he does looks look like old. an old man. He looks he's, like an old man. Sorry, he's thirty one. Thirty one years old. Okay, just turned thirty one. He's really good but, though. I, I just think if he stays at heavyweight, this guy could be top five at this time next year. And what was this catch weight at? 220. 220. He was supposed okay. to fight at heavyweight, and then Turkali's a light heavyweight, so they just agreed to the 220 catch weight. Because Almeida isn't the big heavyweight. This Almeida probably, when he weighs in at heavyweight, weighs in at like 220. Yeah. That's that's what Pereira walks around at. And that's 185. Yeah, that's true. So what do you think uh, for Almeida? Everybody's saying he's ready probably for the top tens of the divisions. Yeah, I think that he should be masked up. I mean, he wants to face Shamil Abdurakhimov, who he's, he was supposed to face, who's ranked 14th. That's who he says he'd like to face next when I asked him. So something along those lines, right? Like a ranked heavyweight. I just don't think you're going to find a lot of people that want to fight this guy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, once you get these these grapplers, it's scary. Can he strike well? or Yeah, he's, is he's he a just... pretty good striker, but he doesn't even, I don't think he even uses it that much. He just takes guys down and, and makes their lives Gets miserable, their... suffocates them. Huh. What was he? More of a back taker? More Everything. of just, yeah. <laughs> whatever, he, he, whatever he looks like, he's just always looking. He's always right. looking for openings. Yeah. Well, my eye's on him now. Well, you should definitely watch that Chris Barnett and Jake Collier fight if you haven't watched it yet. It was, uh, it was uh, one heck of a back and forth heavyweight affair. I my from my understanding it was uh, Jake taking over early and then Chris takes over. Yeah, that's basically it. But uh, Barnett was almost finished on several occasions in the first round. He actually missed weight for heavyweight, two sixty-seven and a half. 
Didn't I, I don't understand. That's a that's a pound and a half at heavyweight, and he he didn't want to cut anymore. Yeah, I mean, I so he had to get a purse deduction for that, yeah. or for a pound Go and a half. A when he had, yeah, not even. I don't know. Like that should be simple. Yeah. You know, Hakeem. No, you ain't gonna do it. Look at Hakeem, and then now look at Chris Barnett. Yeah. Yes, there's a big difference. There's Come on, Chris, get on that same height running though, practically. <laughs> and, did he have to be one sixty six? Does he get the one pound at heavyweight or no? Yeah, two sixty six. He needed to lose one and a half pounds. Oh, so okay, so he came one sixty. Okay, two sixty seven and a half. Two sixty seven and a half. All right. Yeah. But it was a great performance, and I don't know if you know this about Chris Barnett, but um, after his last fight, his fiance died of uh. What the heck? And so I forget what it's called, but uh, yeah, his his fiance oh, tragically man. died in the hospital. She had encephalitis, something along those lines. But it's a uh, it's a brain disorder, and. Uh, he had left her, like he left her in the hospital to go and face Martin Boudet in his last fight. And Dana White called him and was like, "What's wrong with you? Why did you take like Why did you come?" He's like, "Well, you know, I know that the UFC will book someone else and they move along, and I, I don't want to let let the promotion down." Then he like came back and his wife died, his fiance rather died shortly thereafter. So oh, really, man. really rough uh, year for Chris Barnett. But for him to be able to get that win, you could see the emotion just pour out of him afterwards. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves him, it seems, you know, his personality, the way he's dancing and moving. Uh, he seems, uh, I just think DC loves him more than everybody, just yeah. the way he dances, the excitement. Uh, yeah, how, how big and how high his potential is, I don't know. I think that body frame is going to be tough against bigger, stronger, taller. I think he would admit that, too. Like, I think he would say that he, he knows he's got a bit of a ceiling in this division, but uh, he, he's just a guy who's been active. He's had a long career. I mean, this was his... Uh, 31st fight, right? And he's been fighting since 09. He's fought all over the world, fought, fought in Japan for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, good for him. I'm happy to see him finally make it to the UFC, and now he's got a second win in the promotion, so good for him. Yeah, it's fun fights for him, I feel. 100%. Give him some guy with personality. Get him a guy who'll do some fun stuff with him and just uh, build him that way. Johan Linus is the uh, last guy I want to touch on. He got a win over Darian Weeks. Looked very good in the uh, opening bout of the card. Um, anything else? Yeah, the the Canadian, right? Yeah. He's big, strong. Looks looks tough, man. Eight and nine and one now. I think I was reading. Yeah, trained. Kid under looks good. The predator, le predator, Patrick Cote. Yeah, no, he looked good. It was a tough fight because I I heard from uh, some some of the other shows that Darren Weeks uh, felt like he won a lot of people. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, I, I thought Johan clearly won the first and third round. All right, it was a split decision. Good. How good is the ceiling for Johan? Because I don't really know him too much. It's weird from being he's from the also Canadian scene. a little scene. bit on the older side. He's, I think, he's 31 to 32. So I don't know how high of a ceiling he has. I just know that he, this guy's got power in his hands. The big question mark with him was cardio, and his cardio held up over three rounds in this fight. So I think it's kind of take a wait-and-see approach to see how he does. All right. All right. Uh, that's UFC 260 or 279, rather. Anything else stand out uh, to you from the event? It ended up selling out. $5.6 million gate. Uh, no, seemed pretty good. Seemed uh, they saved the show, and I think that's what an experienced uh, organization does. I think a lot of other organizations would have had problems. I mean, I think they got lucky that they booked Rodriguez and Holland because that kind of saved the card um, to be able to mix and match and move everything. But uh, yeah, good on the UFC making it happen, the, the right fights, the right outcomes. So yeah, overall, uh, I think success uh, for the fans and the, the organization. Three Canadian fighters on UFC 279 and three Canadian fighters this weekend at the uh, Apex for UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Yadong. Very uh, 
interesting card. I think that the headliner is a fun fight, and I think the co-main event, your guy, Chidi Njokowani, yep. against Gregory Rodriguez. Uh, Canadians on the card, Tanner Bozer taking on Rodrigo Nascimento. You've got uh, Jillian Robertson taking on Maria Agapova, and Marc-Andre Berriot taking on Anthony Hernandez. Uh, that rounds out the Canadians. But uh, any uh, anything stand out to you from this card? I think Sanhagen versus Song Yudong is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, it should be good. I think uh, this is all for Sanhagen, I feel. I think he gets it done. Uh, but yeah, Song, will, he'll come. He'll come forward. He'll bang out. So I think it'll be fun. But like you said, me watching Chitty uh, evolve, seeing him do Muay Thai and kickboxing for years, uh, that's what I'm excited for. I think he, uh, I think if he touches you, he puts you out. And I think he's just getting more comfortable. Even Andre Feely, friend of mine, I think that's exciting. And I love watching Bozer, so it's a card I'm pretty uh, hyped for. Yeah, I uh, I like the fight doesn't go to a decision in Sanhagen and Song. It's like plus 114, five rounds. Oh, five. yeah, I think Sanhagen gets it done. I think he'll finish. Well, well, he'll find something. We'll see Wild how it goes. Uh, I don't know if Song Yudong has ever been finished. Let's see. Uh, where's Tanner Bozer been, too, after you've looked that up? Once. I feel like I haven't seen Tanner Bozer in, in, in quite some time. It's been more than a year. Uh, since he last competed, he was lined up a couple times against different opponents. Some of them fell out due to injury. He then fell out due to injury. He doesn't really want to talk much about being injured or anything like that. He just wants to fight. I, you know, I spoke mm-hmm. to him. You'll hear the interview later on in the show. But uh, he sounds like he's in fifth gear right now. Like he's he's ready to get in there. And he's uh, Rodrigo Rodrigo Nascimento is uh, you know in for in for the best version of Tanner Bozer because Bozer just seems like he has this chip on his shoulder right now. But Nascimento is no. a good fighter. I mean, I like I. I don't think that this is a slam dunk for Tanner Bozer by any means. Nascimento is uh, a solid, solid uh, submission practitioner for the heavyweight division. Uh, question for you too, Sabatini. Isn't there a Sabatini in Bellator? That's Sabatello. Sabatello. Yeah. Okay. I was like, okay. Pat Sabatini. Sounds familiar. You, you'd recognize Pat Sabatini. He uh, he has wins over. He was the last guy to beat T.J. Laramie. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, the names sound familiar, but I, I just thought they were like they have the same last name. Are they brothers? Are they related? I'm like both Italian names, so I don't know. Sabatini's really good. He trains with uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? We were talking about him earlier in the show. Sean Brady, you know that that crew. Oh, okay, that grappling crew. Yeah. Who do you think is going to take that? By the way, Bilal and uh, Brady. Oh, it's a tough one. I think Bilal's going to win, but that's a tough fight. That's a fantastic that's matchup. A great, it's perfect matchup because they're so. It's even. a fantastic matchup. Oh, are there odds on that one right now? Let's see. Like that, you cannot ask for a better contenders matchup to break in to be the next right. Guess top the odds contender. You know, from our friends at FanDuel Canada. Okay, I'm not going to look, but uh, I'm going to have to say, but I know Bilal's higher ranked, I believe, right? I think so. But I think Brady's the favorite, man, in a crazy way. But it's going to be almost a pick'em. Give me a number. I'm going to say minus 110 uh, Brady. Minus 146 for Sean Brady. Minus 146. Oh, they're not giving Bilal enough credit, I feel, then. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think they are either. So as an underdog, I'll definitely take Bilal. I didn't even know what the odds were when you just asked me who I liked in that one. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Jeez. That's a great fight, though. Yeah, nice matchmaking. If you want a little bit of a TSN Edge preview, I can tell you who I'm going to be taking. By the way, do you watch Contender Series? Uh, last night I watched, it was on the background cause I came home from the gym late, but I was very impressed by the, the female fight with Brazil's Buda head Brazil. kick knockout. Yeah. I sent that to my team, my, my female fighter Izzy. And I was like, this is how we got to knock people out. Now bang, that head kick 
if if you know me and my style and what I teach, that hook to head kick just to kind of create that's me and my style all day every day that exit style head kick. So yeah, it was nice to see. Yeah, good good uh, good season so far. But I mean, Yanni the Greek is just getting completely obliterated. Like I've I've never seen a historically bad run. Like really? This. Oh yeah. <laughs> like if you fade all of his picks, you'll be up a ton of money. Is he just trying to get undog? Uh, trying to pick underdogs? Whatever. What's he trying he, to no, do? No, it seems like there's absolutely no method to the madness. He's making his picks. He went the way he describes his picks are like based on like all this Vegas lingo that really does not apply to fighting whatsoever. It's like ah, there's regression and the percentages are off here. It's like no, no, no. Look at the matchup. Like this style of fight, you know, like you yeah. can't just look at trends to try to make well, your let's, picks. But let's put Aaron Bronstetter on uh, hey, Contender sure, Series. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, pick, pick I think it'd be great for it. But, uh, I'll sit in the booth. I'll take one of the third spots, and then you'll take Johnny the Greek. Sure, sounds good to me. Well, Except I, I don't really like that idea of having to pick every single fight. But I mean, that being said, I like I think that you could just throw darts at a board and you'd do better than him. Like it'd be like throw a <laughs> yeah. dart at this fight or throw a dart at the. You know, honestly, funny. I do. I gotta pay attention to him. I don't mean, to, to, mean, I don't mean next... to rip the guy, but it's just like he's just on a historically bad run. Yeah, and I think this this season too it just hasn't been great for my glory boys. Anvar Banazarov ends yeah. up losing. Matei Pena's ended up getting submitted in the first ten seconds, I believe, oh, last yeah, week. The kid didn't even get a chance to show how good and tall, southpaw, rangy, and I was just I was disappointed he didn't get to do much. But not a good season for my glory boys. And I think they're done, right? Nobody else from Glory yeah, the rest of the season. I think that's it. Yeah, I don't know who uh, even has potential. Well. TSN Edge, I'm going to be taking Pat Sabatini, parlaying him with Nicholas Mata. That's about even money. Uh, I'm going to take the uh, the uh, fight doesn't go to a decision in Sandhagen and Song. I can tell you that I like right that. now. Um, that. I might be taking, touching Chitty. I, I might take Sarah Chitty? McMahon against Aspen Ladd, but I don't know yet. Um, I want to see what the submission number is for Jillian Robertson against Agapova. Um, I, I'm not touching that Chitty fight. It's too volatile for me. What's uh? What Rodriguez is what? More of a he's a striker. Mix? He's like a he's a big striker. He's just like Chidi, like big, you know, more of a more of a walk forward brawling type fighter. In what? in terms of his striking, and Chidi is more technical, but that's gonna be a good fight. Yeah, Chidi, Chidi, if he clinches up with you and he decides to elbow you, like that is just terrifying. Chidi's clinching knee. Ooh, my gosh. <laughs> nightmare like nightmare i would i i got matt special to clinch with him in vegas and matt's like i've never clinched with a more <laughs> tall strong intimidating human being with his knees like it, it was terrifying yeah great i'll also be taking andre feely and i might take i might take a flyer on alan amadovsky he's plus 300 against joe pfeiffer and people are talking about pfeiffer because he had that the first the only knockout on that first episode of contender series and it really like elevated him and it made him He's got a good name, but I mean, and Alan Amzovsky has looked terrible in the UFC. So it's like, it's hard to pick a guy. It's just, it's almost like a fading that big number of a guy coming off contender series already fighting. I don't know. It's a confusing situation, but I don't know if I'm actually going to go forward with it. I just think there's value there. Yeah. No, I also got to tell you, Aaron, so, so I can pump your outlet. There's a lot of times I, I check your TSN edge picks and I don't know where to find them because I have to go to TSN. So I go to your, it's, it's called the Aaron Review, is it called? Aaron. Call report. It? Yeah, Aaron.Report. It'll be in my newsletter. It's, yeah, uh, your newsletter's great. Yeah, it's the, just a good summary of what you do all week. You get your picks. You get what happened last week, your recap. So yeah, people should go to that because I honestly like to go just before the UFC just to see what you picked and uh, just get a recap. So that's a nice spot to go. It. Yeah, no, it's perfect. So, I mean, I'm just saying it's a good resource for people to to check out. Well, I appreciate that, Joe. Thank you. 
Yeah, I check it out, so I might as well share it. Anything else uh, that we need to touch on this week? I don't know if I. Uh, if there's anything. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem like much. Andre Pedroneras advises Jose Aldo to retire, but expects former champion to finish contract at UFC 283. That's in Brazil. That's interesting. It's in Rio. Hmm. That would be uh, an interesting way for him to go out. If he did a retirement fight in, in front of his home crowd. Yeah, it would be nice. Do you remember? Who he, he needs to do something. Do you remember who he fought last time in front of his home crowd? Aldo? I don't know. Alexander Volkanovsky. Oh, really? Yeah. Brazil's going to come back him. soon? Or when was the last time yeah, there January. was Brazil? The last January? Time Brazil okay. was uh, we'll two, probably in the beginning of 2020. Three. Yeah. Nice. Well, actually, no, moving sorry. Back. The last time they went to Brazil, I think, was that Kevin... It was the last fight in front of... A, in front of uh, sorry, it was the last fight before COVID, but it was during COVID. Like, it was the last fight. They emptied... They had nobody in the arena... And I think it was in like Belo Horizonte, Brazil. It was Kevin Lee against Charles Oliveira, I think. Hmm. What about Africa? What did they say? Africa, South They're Africa, is Africa for next happen? year, apparently. Three yeah. Canadian dates next year, apparently. So we'll see how that goes. It would be where? Calgary, probably, probably one. Like one Ed- west, one east, and then one miscellaneous. Toronto? Yeah. You think Toronto would ever get it again? Well, yeah, I think the problem is looking at the calendar for pay per views. Like, I don't think they would do a fight night in Toronto. I think they want to do a pay per view here. But the yeah, pay-per-view inventory is it, there's not a lot of it, right? Like because you've got Brazil in January, it it's trending towards, from what I understand, Australia or or um, London in February or March. So and Vegas would be the other one. It's Vegas either going to be February mm-hmm. or March, and then you're going to see one of I think either London or somewhere in Australia, potentially. And then April, I think they might be going back to Barclays. That's where they used to do it every April was Barclay. Mm-hmm in uh, Brooklyn. I'm not sure about that, but that's where they have done it in the past. May would be an option because May is usually Brazil, but they're doing Brazil in January. So May could be an option. But then you also have to remember if it's during hockey season and basketball season, there aren't a lot of dates available at the uh, Scotiabank Center. So they tend to do it when there's no seasons going on. So who really knows? It's tough. It's going to be tough for them to figure it out because, you know, I would say June's an option. Uh, They did a second pay-per-view in July this past year. That's an option. So I don't know. There's some options, but there's also a lot of these dates are probably getting booked up now. Yeah, I just don't think right now there is a big need for them to rush to come here. We don't really have any superstars here enough to build cards around, right? I mean, that's another big option. Like, usually we had GSP, we had Rory McDonald, we had the bigger names, Mark Hominick, we had the bigger names to kind of but sell. It's still I just a don't think market. Like, it's still a market. Oh, hungry market. But if we had the name to put with it, that's when I think the, you know, it's kind of worth it more to come here. I asked, uh, actually, I can, I can just, uh, you can just hear what I asked Tanner Bowser, or you can hear his answer to this question. I asked him, I go, do you think that you are the closest thing to a title, con- to a, being in title contention of anybody in the UFC right now from Canada, right? Because I yeah. just, not a whole lot. You can yeah. hear his answer later on. Okay. I thought Hakeem was going to be the next. I mean, if he got past Rosa, who would have known bigger fights, you know? Because I don't know, even as a featherweight, he had some great fights uh, ahead. But yeah, it's a tough one for Canadians right now. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, these guys are doing what they can but uh the regional scene basically shutting down for two years certainly doesn't help yeah yeah you're telling me poor maddie special now we're still trying nobody will fight him so any lightweights around please help us out fight him all right we, we can't get anything for him nobody wants it well if yeah so if you want to fight matt speciality if you're a lightweight uh maybe even a welterweight he'll fight you so just yeah thing. yeah preferably lightweight <laughs> he's keep saying yes to welterweight but i keep saying no maybe a catchweight 160 maybe. Okay, there you go. so if you're listening and you're looking for a fight he's your yes guy. we got it we got you we're ready we got you we got inventory here all right <laughs> um let's get to some interviews 
We're going to have uh, Corey Sanhagen on the show, Tanner Bozer, Marc-Andre Berrio, and uh, we also have my old friend Olivier Aubon Mercier joining us, us mm. as well. So uh, No Fox. No Fox given. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no Fox is given. Is that still his thing? I don't know. He's got a lot of things going on all the time. All right. That was one of my favorite, though. All of his posts had foxes. No foxes <laughs> given with this fanny pack. So, yeah, tell him I say hi. I've never met him, but tell him I say well, hi. Well, I've already conducted the You've already show, done so it. But next time you see him, say I said hi because I actually enjoy his personality. So. All, right. All right, my guy. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate you. And let's get to the interviews. We'll start off with Corey Sanhagen. He's one of the best fighters and spike ball players in the UFC and in combat sports as a whole. He is Corey Sanhagen. I got that from your interview with James Lynch. I hear you're just out here smoking people at spike ball. I'm pretty good at spike ball, yeah. It's, uh, I'm kind of getting a bit of a big head about it, so I need to start, I think, playing with a little bit better competition, but uh, I think I'm pretty good. Well, I hope by me pumping your tires, it just added to that big head and that you're just going to stay as competitive as possible and, and put in the kind of work that you do in MMA to, to maintain your greatness in the spike ball realm. Yeah, I think it's going to be my second career, maybe, if, uh, you know, that, 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 that's a potential for me. Well, by the time you're done fighting, hopefully that sport will grow exponentially, just like MMA has. And by then, you'll just be able to make the seamless transition. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it'll be like Michael Jordan going to, to play baseball for a couple of years. Well, I mean, I think you'd be better at spike ball than he was at baseball. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for doing this. It's your main event against Song Yudong this coming Saturday. It's great to have you back in action. One of my favorite fighters to watch. What have you learned from fighting the best of the best in your division? You look at the likes of TJ Dillashaw, Aljamain Sterling, Piotr Jan, how competitive you are with, you are with uh, anybody in this division. Where do you go from here right now um, with, with a, a fighter that's a little bit lower ranked than you are? Yeah, so... Uh... I kind of focus on me a lot, you know, like my bar is set at being the best at everything and being better than everyone at everything. So uh, I, I'm kind of sick of having these like close striking fights with people. Um, you know, that that's always going to be where, where I excel at. Um, but I do the striking piece at a in a, in a way where I'm not getting where, where there's no like blurred lines, where there's no gray areas of me winning or me losing. So. I definitely improved my striking in that way a lot more. Um, and yeah, uh, just bettering myself everywhere. I said I, w- I want to be better than everyone at everything. I don't want to go in and, and have to worry about a guy being a better wrestler or a better striker or a better grappler or whatever. I, I want to be the top dog in everything, so that's where my bar is set. The way that I interpret that is that you've been working a lot more on your defense then because you want to hit and not get hit as opposed to just getting into striking exchanges. Is that, am I onto something here? Uh, kind of. Um, I suppose uh, I think I do the defensive piece really well. I think that there's just uh, like a flow and an aesthetic to fighting that happens that if you don't have like an awareness about, uh, you can kind of get like the rug ripped under your feet. And um, so I'm just working on having that awareness. Yeah, we kind of talked about that before your last fight against Piotr Jan in terms of um, how to have an aesthetically pleasing fight for the judges and being able to, I guess, strike your opponent with more impact. Um, is that what you're talking about? Is that, are you kind of going back to that sort of a mindset? Uh, yeah, more or less. Um, yeah, more or less. So what do you do in order to, to excel in that realm? Like, what, what are some strategies that you can have when it comes to getting to these exchanges where you're going to get the better of them? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you just hit and don't get hit, right? Uh, and uh, and you make that very apparent, and you make it so that there's no blurred lines in it, and uh, you know that that looks like a number of strategic things that uh, you know I don't really feel like sharing for the whole world to listen to at this point in my career. <laughs> I'll have to unlock it at the end. When you're when you're all done, you can unlock some of these strategies for me, and I can I can learn uh, in subsequent fights from watching them what, what people are doing. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of save, saved up stuff in my brain for after career uh, interviews than uh, during because I definitely want to keep my mysterious aura to myself. I like that. So I'm as I mentioned before, you've faced the the upper echelon of this division. Song Yudong hasn't established himself as that just yet. And I know you're obviously extremely confident you're going to win this fight, as you are with all of your fights, but how do you get yourself into a mindset where you don't underestimate a guy like this, a guy who's on the come-up, 24 years old? Uh, it's pretty easy, man, because Song's knocked a lot of people out recently. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely not a difficult task to get myself up. You know, like, I don't, yeah, I hate getting embarrassed more than I hate most things, and I definitely... Get knocked out is about as embarrassing as it can get in uh, in fighting and maybe even in life. So, uh, you know, there's no room for that in in uh, in in this life existence for me. So I'm not going to, you know, take it easy anywhere just because I'm fighting someone that has a lower number than me on the rankings. Like everyone gets the same amount of effort in every single camp and. Uh, and yeah, it's not a difficult task. You know, I, I also know too that uh, the better I perform, the quicker I get to, you know, the top, the quicker I get to, uh, you know, making another run at this title, which is what I plan on doing the rest of this year and next year. So uh, I know that the better I look, the better I perform, the more I wash people out, the, the, the more argument I have for, for that. It's been 11 months since you've fought Piotr Jan, but... I think a lot of people forget how quickly you took that fight after facing TJ Dillashaw. This time off, was it by design? Did you want to hit the reset button? And if so, how did you do that? Yeah, it was, it was definitely by design. I just, uh, martial arts is my life. You know, like uh, I teach the kids at high altitude martial arts where I first started. I, I coach a lot of the amateur guys. So like every other weekend, I'm usually at a, at a show corner. And, um, you know, I, I'm... I help the kids a lot. So I don't really do anything other than go to the gym and, and think about this stuff. Like, uh, I, I'm kind of one of the artsier guys in the sport. Uh, I, I like spending my time and I enjoy the process of creating things and, and getting a lot better at things that that's like a really fun and exciting thing for me in, in this sport. And it's one of the, the main reasons I've stuck with it and, and why I'm so good at all of it is just because I enjoy the process of it so much. So, uh, this last year has just been me creating a better style of fighting and me creating a better uh, understanding of things that I didn't have like a whole 100% understanding of. And, uh, and yeah, that's what, that's what this last year has, has been spent doing is, is just, you know, getting way better and creating a, a better style, like chiseling away at the, at the art that, that I'm trying to make. So when you say that you're one of the artsier fighters in the UFC, how does that translate into fighting? Like, what what do you do in your process that you consider to be the artistic part of of that process? I guess I, I dive I dive pretty deep into the uh, like self expression piece. You know, like um, there's there's like an intuition that I feel like I I have where I um can like see something in fighting like aesthetically and uh like deem it as beautiful or ugly or 
or efficient or not efficient. And um, I really want to make my style as efficient and as beautiful as possible. And um, and that's like what my goal is, you know. And uh, and I think that that will lead me to having really awesome fights where, you know, n- nothing's more beautiful than pitching a shutout. You know, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but there's nothing more beautiful than pitching a shutout and fighting. And if I can, you know defensively be super sound and if i can offensively be incredibly dangerous and and i can bring a bunch of weapons to fights and and just have all of those tools and stuff that to me is just awesome you know like you're you're molding yourself and you're creating a very deadly and like violent and dangerous person and uh in combat sports that's the goal so uh that's you know that's how i spend my time in life, you know, and in this human existence that we live, so. This question might be a weird one, but do you feel like you see martial arts in the same way that somebody who follows, I guess, color theory sees music? Like, people that, do you know what color theory is? Yeah, uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've heard of that, yeah, we're like, uh, or maybe I don't know what color theory is, but almost in the same way we're like, uh, I know, I, I've talked to some people who like, uh, in martial arts, they see like the colors of moves and stuff, or, or they like, uh, I don't really know how to describe it, but that's how they kind of described it to me. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that I'm a little bit like that. I don't like see colors and auras and vibrations and stuff. But uh, like I said, I, I feel like I just have this instinctual uh, understanding of what I'm trying to create. And, uh, and then there's also this like giant physical piece of actually being good at the things that you're trying to create, which is just a whole nother aspect in its own. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, I was, I was given that ability or I honed it or whatever, whatever it is that makes you good at something. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think that I have that. Do you consume other forms of art? Like, do you find like the, your obsession with martial arts and just focusing solely on that and on the artistry behind that kind of might be an issue? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't mean it like in the sense that it's, it's a problem, but I, it, it seems like having a sole focus on something without having other things that you can use as an escape might be exhausting for some people. Um, Oh yeah. Okay. I think I know what you're saying. Uh, no, honestly, uh, I think, um, obviously everyone needs their breaks. You know, you, you can say, you know, like you can watch all the motivational videos in the world of people talking about how they don't take breaks and da da da. you know, um, I, I think that everyone needs like resets and stuff, but, uh, the amount of reset that I need is pretty little. Honestly, I think that my resets happen a little bit more just in the same world, but in other areas. Like I, if, you know, my body needs a rest, then I'll just like drill a move that I want to get good at more. Um, and then vice versa, if I feel like I've learned, like my, my knowledge capacity is pretty high, then I'll like physically try to push myself a little bit more that week. So, uh, no, I don't really have a life outside of just trying to get better at fighting. You're an interesting fellow, Corey Sanhagen. I always love speaking with you. Best of luck on Saturday against Song Yudong. Right on. Thanks, Aaron. I'll talk to you, uh, I guess, next time. Happy to be joined by Tanner Bozer. Good to have you back, sir. It's been more than a year away from competition for you. I know that must be frustrating, but I've been listening to interviews with you, and you are as dialed in as I've ever heard you. Um, there's a sense of urgency that you typically have, but it seems like it's dialed up to 11 this time around. Yeah, thanks. It has been a long time. It's been well over a year, and uh, I like to think I'm dialed in. I guess we're going to see. Absolutely. Well, uh, your opponent's been away for more than a year as well. 
and it's a, a fantastic heavyweight fight in terms of competition for you. Do you like this matchup coming back? Yeah, I like the matchup for sure. I mean, he present, presents um, a host of problems like everyone in the UFC would, but I do think it's a good matchup. Um, he's tough. It's not going to be easy, but yeah, I like the match. This is the first time you fought, fought with fans in attendance. I know it's at the Apex, but there will at least be fans there this time around. Since 2019, are you excited to fight in front of a, you know, a, a, at least something of a crowd at the Apex this weekend? Um, the noise the crowd generates might prompt the ref stand up when someone's just laying on you, which of course is advantageous to me. However, I wish I could fight at a place with a crowd where I could, my friends and family could come watch and tickets aren't like two grand at the cheapest. That'd be sweet. Yeah, well, there, there are rumblings. Dave Shaw, when he was in uh, Paris, said that they're hoping to come to Canada three times next year. And he mentioned Edmonton and Calgary as potential cities. So you might have fished your wish with that one. Hopefully you'll be on that card if it does come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's a thing and that does happen, I can uh, assume safely assume I'll be on that one. You got a quote recently uh, in an interview with Johnny Hanko about, uh, I guess it was uh, sports therapists, I guess is probably the best way to put it. And uh, I guess you have something of an aversion to them. But I think a lot of people misinterpreted what you'd said there. So do you want a chance to clarify it? It's, I think people might have thought you were talking about therapists in general. Yeah, I addressed this on a recent interview with Mike Heck. Um, I don't think it's been posted yet. Yeah, I was referring to sports psychologists and sports-specific sports psychologists that people employ as uh, mental coaches. And I think that they're kind of bullshit, but well, I really don't care what other people do with their time and money or how they train, man. I don't give a shit. But I wasn't talking about people who need therapists or people who need to see actual psychologists. Uh, I was not at all talking about mental health. I was talking about um, using a sports psychologist, mental coach in regards to MMA or combat sports. Okay, so let me just be clear on this. So a mental coach is kind of different from a sports psychologist. Do you, do you draw those parallel? I mean, do you think that that's kind of one and the same? Or when you think of mental coach, you're thinking about a guru type that someone goes to for that kind of help. Yeah, it's kind of more of the, like David Goggins uh, type of, of thing that people prescribe to, I guess. Um, I guess I do draw parallels between the two, but I really don't care enough to dive deep into this, man. Like I said, I was asked what I thought about mental coaches or if I had one, and I said, no, I think you need a mental coach. Uh, you're weak and I said that and I do mean it but you know it's not a hill I care enough to sit up sit there and die on all right cool just wanted to give you the chance to clarify because I think a lot of people thought you meant just people seeking therapy in general which is not which is not what you said at all <laughs> so I wanted to give you the chance to clarify yeah of course they did that's what the internet does they uh find a quote and then they crucify you about it all right well Fuck. We <laughs> well, we can move on from it. Uh, again, just wanted to make sure that uh, you had the opportunity to clarify uh, on that. So in terms of the heavyweight division going forward, what do you think is going to happen? We, we saw Cyril gone. You, you said to James Lynch, you thought he was a lock to win. He got it done, but did face some adversity. What do you think happens with your division going forward? Uh, yeah, that was an awesome fight. 
Um, I don't know what happens going forward. John Jones is supposed to come and fight Stipe. So that's going to have title implications for sure. And then you got Curtis Blades there uh, somewhere, but not really able to get a title shot so long as um, as Nganu is champion. Blades and, and Gone make sense, but Gone kind of said he doesn't really want to fight him. So uh, I don't know. The Until until um there's an interim title or Nganu's back and that's announced um maybe a bit of a log jam up there but it's exciting for sure i'm sure it's still a little while away but in terms of canadians right now in mma do you feel like you're the closest in the ufc to being able to compete for a championship if you look at the field right now man i'm not even in the top 15 how ignorant of me would it be to say I don't know. None of us are really close, I don't think. I don't know who's closest, to be honest. Is is anyone ranked? No, and that's why I ask. And We don't have a single ranked Canadian right now in the UFC, as far as I, as far as I can, can remember. Well, then we're all equally far away, man. All right, I like that answer. It's uh, diplomatic and realistic, so I uh, appreciate that from you. Um, again, Nascimento, this is a guy who's got really good submission skills. Uh, you, you do a lot of jiu-jitsu, of course, in your own right. Uh, is that a part of the game that you're looking to, to neutralize, is to, to keep this on the feet for as long as possible? Yes, of course. He's going to want to get me to the mat at some point, whether that's right off the bat or as the fight goes on. And it's going to be my job to keep it standing up. But don't be surprised if, if, if I get on top of him on the ground. He's going to have a bad time, too. Uh, that's heavyweight MMA. The guy on the bottom with very few... Notable exceptions, maybe Frank Mir and Nogueira. Not too many guys effective off their back. Stefan Struve had some triangles. Um, he's going to want to take me down uh, at some point, more than I'm going to want to take him down probably. But it's uh, going to be bad for either one of us if we end up on the bottom. I know you don't want to talk about your injuries. I've heard you, again, in another interview say you're not really interested in, in diving into that, but... Now that you're back, are you are we going to see you with the same kind of activity that you've had if if you know if that is available to you? I would like to, yes. All right. Well, we would like that too. We'd like nothing more than watching Tanner Bowser fight. Thank you for doing this, sir, and uh, best of luck to you over the weekend. Okay, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Coming off of his first submission win, Marc-André Berrio is back in action against Alexander Fluffy Hernandez this Saturday. We're going to see you snatch some more necks. Is submissions going to be part of the arsenal going forward? Uh, you know, like my last fight, you know, I gained a lot of confidence uh, with all my tools. And I'm really looking forward to bring everything with me inside the octagon this Saturday and just, you know, uh, be the best version of myself and do good things. What do you think about this opponent for you, uh, Alexander Hernandez? Solid opponent um, who is very, very versatile. Oh, yeah, no, uh, Hernandez is a very well-rounded fighter. Uh, I think he got a lot of, uh, a lot of good, you know, uh, a, a good uh, attitude. He's, he's, he's a great fighter, he's a great submission, great jiu-jitsu guy. He's tough. But like I said, I feel that I'm, I'm the, the veteran right now. Uh, in this matchup, and I'm really looking forward to prove once again that I belong in this game. How long have you been training at Sanford for? It's been, what, almost two years now? Yeah, so back in May 2021, so almost two years, and right now I feel better than ever. 
Um, uh, I'm kind of used to uh, everything around me, all the, the all the, the structure on the training camp. So uh, I'm really excited and very happy. A lot of great training partners uh, that you, I'm sure, have going into this fight. Who have you been training with mostly at Sanford? There just seems like uh, really an embarrassment of riches, uh, of riches rather, for you to choose from. Yeah, of course. So, uh, you know, as soon as I heard that I'm going to fight uh, Hernandez, uh, I tried to, to pick and choose some guys who, uh, who, who can mimic the style of, of my opponent. And I also trained with Brandon Allen because he fought uh, Hernandez back in LFA. And so I do. I did some good rounds with Brandon uh, and um, uh, Rodriguez, who was going to fight Chidi on the, on this card, and a lot of good guys. You know, uh, the, the the energy in the in the room in the Sanford Killcliffe, it's amazing. So every day is like a, a new day. Is a I'm very happy. Yeah, I'm still getting used to calling it Killcliffe. I'm gonna have to to work on that. But uh, did you get some training in with Aaron Jeffrey? Because his style, in terms of his appearance, is very similar to uh, Fluffy Hernandez. He's got the long hair, the mustache. That way you can picture <laughs> him a little bit better. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I do really like uh, AJ. Um, I'm very happy for his last uh, uh, fight. You know, he did very great. And uh, he just came back, uh, I think, this Monday, last Monday, uh, with the team. So after my fight, I'm going to be back in the gym and I'm going to still working with him. He's a great guy. He's uh, the artist worker in the room. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to have him uh, part of the team right now. Are you still living out of the trailer in the, in, that you drove nope. down in? No, no, yeah. So I, I, I put the, the, the trailer in the storage. And right now, we, uh, I just bought a, a mobile home. So, you know, slowly we improve. And maybe after the fight, I'm going to maybe uh, start looking for a house or something like that. Yeah. So you're planning on being there long term, basically. Yeah. So I, I just want to, you know, I I want to, I want to be uh, stable here before and after. I'm gonna maybe uh, check if if I go back to Canada uh, sometimes because I do miss my team in Canada. But right now everything works pretty well for me uh, uh, in Florida. So I just want to, you know, step by step. And uh, after that, after that fight, I'm gonna look if I I can maybe go back for a couple weeks just to you know get in touch with my family, my my coach, my team, and yeah. It seems like you're always on cards with, with a lot of Canadians. We don't have a lot of Canadians in the UFC. I think there's 14 of them, but two other ones are on the card with you. Uh, you got Jillian Robertson and Tanner Bozer. Uh, do you enjoy yeah. having other Canadians on the card with you, or does it doesn't make a difference? It doesn't make a difference, you know. Uh, uh, I'm happy to have, uh, to have some fellow Canadians uh, on the same card. You know, it's always uh, good to uh, represent our country. But right now, I'm kind of selfish. You know, I I, I stay focused. Uh, I do things for myself. And I just want to, once again, prove that, uh, you know, I belong in this game. I want to stay here. I want to keep, you know, uh, climbing the rankings and hopefully, you know, um, make a good living for a long term. So another three fights for you this year. Are you hoping to have the same activity next year or, or even get another one in before the end of the year? Yeah, so uh, I don't look too much uh, past uh, my, my next fight, but I heard that there's going to be a, a, a card in Orlando. Maybe I think it's December 3rd. So, yeah, we'll see. If everything goes uh, uh, well on the fight, maybe I'm going to ask to fight uh, in the Orlando for the December card, and it's going to be my third fight, uh, fourth fight this year, so it's going to be a very good year for me, yeah. 
And David Shaw, one of the uh, VPs at the UFC, was saying they're looking to do three shows in Canada next year. I imagine you'd want to be on at least one of those shows if it ends up coming back to the Great White North. Uh, for sure, 100%. Yeah, I can't wait to get back in, uh, in front of the crowd, you know, because my, my first three fights in the UFC with crowds, uh, I didn't get my, my end raise at the end. So right now, I like VFX, but I think it's time for me to, uh, to get back in the, the big... Uh, you know, the big the big show and uh, with all the crowds and uh, all the energy so yeah so uh, if the UFC plan to go uh, maybe a couple times next year I'm really down uh, to be part of this uh, the shows yeah if this is what your sixth straight fight at the apex it's uh it's becoming a second home for you yeah I know I know yeah so I'm kind of used to it right now um, I, I like the energy in the apex it's 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 smaller it's more you know uh, I like the energy so I'm really looking forward to this fight. Just bring all my, everything I have in, uh, in, in me right now and just put on a good show. And after that, uh, just looking forward for what's next. The hotel looks different this time around. They have you in a different hotel now? Yeah, the, the last, the, it's the last thing that changed, you know, before. Um, I like the, 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 the other hotel before. We was more like, you know, uh, it was more like a small uh, suite and we have everything here. We're, we're more like inside the, the, the casino and more distraction, you know, so, but it is what it is. It's part of the game right now. I just need to focus, do my things. I just finished all my interviews uh, at the Apex. Now I'm talking to you. And after that, I'm just going to enjoy the rest of the day. Take it easy. Focus on the weight cut. Have a good training uh, tonight at the PI and just stay focused. I see the wallpaper behind you is peeling off the wall. Is this like Excalibur they've got you in? Where do they have you? Uh, New York, New York. Okay, yeah, that's where all the athletes were last year, last week for 279. Yeah, yeah, so no, it's not the best hotel, uh, but it's okay, you know, I have a, as soon as the, the bed is comfortable and I have everything that I need, I'm okay, and I'm just focused for, uh, for the fight. But here's the big question, did your previous hotel have a roller coaster? I don't think so. No. <laughs> no roller coaster, so... Uh, yeah, no, it seemed pretty cool. Maybe I'm going to do it today or tomorrow. We'll see. Well, there you go. If you want to take your mind off the fight, no better way to do it than the roller coaster that's attached to your hotel. Uh, always a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you, Marc-Andre, and I uh, hope to speak with you again soon. Let's keep that activity going. Exactly. Thank you very much, sir. See you next time. Happy to be joined by the Canadian gangster, Olivier Aubin-Mercier. Now, before I ask you about one former teammate, Stevie Ray, who you're going to be facing in November, I unfortunately have to ask you about uh, your other former training partner Elias Theodoru and your former castmate on the Ultimate Fighter Nations uh, who passed away this week at, at 34 years of age. Uh, a tragedy in the Canadian mixed martial arts scene and mixed martial arts scene as a whole. But I, I'm very eager to hear if you have any stories or anything you'd like to share about him from your time training with him and your, tri your time living with him for the Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know him a little bit. You know, he was uh, really a funny guy, really nice guy to be around. Um... <laughs> and one one quote like that made me so laugh so much. It's when it <laughs> he said that how does his opponent gonna know what he's doing, even if he doesn't he doesn't even know what he is doing. So <laughs> I thought that was like pretty funny uh, because there was some people that were telling him that his uh, style was weird. Uh, so I, I was this kind of guy, you know, taking nothing too seriously. And, 
yeah, he was he, he was really like a fun guy to be around. It was really surprising to uh, hear the news, and uh, there's a lot of people right now that are coming out to say that uh, they saw him uh, in the last couple two uh, two months, uh, looking looking pretty uh, frail, I would say, and he was he was still happy, you know, he was still uh, norm like. Normal, if I if I can say, he didn't bother uh, telling people why he was sick, and uh, I think that's that's really showed um, how he was, you know. Uh, yeah, I've been t- thinking about that for the last two days, and it's it's pretty sad. Yeah, it's sad. It's weird. It's, it's surprising, and uh, it's scary too. You know, it's scary. Yeah, it, I mean, it just shows that we're all human, right? I mean, it's no matter what ha- what we do, it's he was a world class athlete, right? One of the top fifteen fighters in his middle class in the sorry, his, the middleweight division in the world. Um, to see that something like that can happen to anybody, especially at age thirty four, a healthy guy, it certainly makes you take a step back and and think about how we need to cherish all of the moments that we have with our friends, our colleagues, teammates, coaches, etc. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. I hope he's in a, in a better place. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, he was uh, frail in, in the you know towards the end, and hopefully his he's not suffering anymore. It's a, a terrible thing for anybody to have to go through. Um, so Olivia, thank you for sharing those thoughts with me. Uh, now we have to talk. Uh, you know, it's hard, always hard to transition from something so sad to uh, your upcoming fight or or the sport itself when it all seems so trivial at times. But it's in November yourself, Stevie Ray, another guy you used to train with. Probably somebody who trained mm-hmm. with even more than Elias, given that you guys are in the same weight class. So tell me about how well you know Stevie and it, you know what you're looking forward to in terms of this fight. Yeah, we trained a couple of years ago uh, together, uh, and to be honest, I'm really bad with that. But I, I did, I don't remember any round we did, and it was the same thing with uh, Alex uh, Alex Martinez. I didn't really remember anything uh, about him, and uh, I remember he's a softball. You have like a big uh, straight, but other than that, uh, I'm not sure. So um, it's gonna be new territory again. So um, yeah, looking forward to uh, for this fight. I think he deserves his place there. He was not supposed to make the the final. I think uh, Steve. Anyway, I think a lot of people didn't want him to do the the final, and he. He found a way to to make it happen, and uh, good for him. He's a good man. He's a good family man. So I'm happy that I'm I'm fighting him in the in the final. Do you try to block out the million dollar part of it all? I mean, that's the reason you signed with the PFL is so that you can get to where you are right now and compete for that million dollars. But at the same time, I think that it's probably difficult for you to block out the fact that that is the light at the end of the tunnel for you in the finale here. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, every fight was. Uh, was that so? If I didn't lose, if I didn't win uh, the last fight, uh, I was out. If I didn't win any of the first two fights, too, I was probably probably out. And uh, I mean, Manfio, he won by uh, KO, and he didn't make the the playoffs. So it's um, if I didn't win against Manfio, I, I wouldn't be here. So every fight was really important, I think. And the last one is the same as uh, all the other ones. So yeah, I think. I think maybe psychologically it's uh, there's something more, but the truth is they are all the same. 
That's certainly a good way of looking at it. It probably takes a little bit of pressure off of you for this particular fight. But uh, have you thought about what you're going to do if you win a million dollars? How you'll spend it? What you'll do with it? Well, nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Uh, I don't know. I don't need a lot of uh, of thing in life, you know. I have uh, my little apartment. I don't even know if I'm going to move from here. Um, but yeah, I don't need a lot of, of thing. So probably I'm going to buy the peace of mind with that. And that's probably going to be it. That's it. What do you mean by buy the peace of mind? Just the, the knowledge that you have it in case anything goes wrong? Exactly. All right. Well, I, that's a very humble way of looking at it. Um, the PFL has added to their lightweight division going forward. It seems like he's going to be competing at lightweight. That's Shane Burgos. What did you think of that signing when you heard about it? Yeah, I thought he was going to do 145. And some other uh, um, journalist told me that he, he planned to to make 155. But nothing was sure about his plan, though. Like, he was doing the the tournament at 155, but he wanted to do other fight at 145. So I, I didn't really understand. That I, I don't know if it's uh, if it's true first, uh, but yeah, if you do 155, I think that's a really great addition, and yeah, I think PFL right now uh, uh, love to put uh, those kind of new guy against Click Color, and I think that would be a good matchup against Click Color again. Um, but yeah, Click Color, man, the, this this guy is the the UFC killer, eh? <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, that's a great fight. You should be the matchmaker. If you win the million dollars, maybe you ask if they uh, have an availability there because I like that idea. Clay Collard against Shane Burgos. That's some, some guaranteed chaos right there. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, with Clay Collard, it's always guaranteed chaos. So, yeah, I think that would be like a really, really good matchup. Where do you think you match up best against Stevie? Uh, sorry, repeat the question? Sorry, where do you think that you match up best against Stevie Ray? Uh, I think I'm a little bit faster than him. Um, I think on the ground I'm better too. I think uh, Stevie, Stevie showed a lot of great improvement with his leg lock. I think it's a little bit dangerous in uh, in MMA, but he he know he know what he's do he's doing with his leg lock. So that's that could be really dangerous. So I have to be careful with that. Um, but for sure I cannot be uh, he cannot be on top of me. And uh, on the feet, I have to be really careful. Like I said, with the straight, he, he have a little uh, cannonball in his backhand. So I have to be careful with that. Um, but I think I, I'm pretty much better than him everywhere right now. Anyway, that's a feeling I, I have. But like I said, that, that doesn't mean anything, especially with someone with a lion heart like uh, Stevie Ray, uh, who find a way to... Uh, to win fights uh, in dramatic fashion. So, uh, uh, yeah, I have to be careful, but I do think I'm better than him. And finally, this is the end of your second season with the PFL. How have you enjoyed the experience so far after being with the UFC for such a long time and then moving on to the PFL? What are the differences and what are the things you like the most about it? I think the respect. Yeah, the respect is a, it's a big thing. And they, they, made, they make you feel uh, important, you know. Uh, and, you know, for sure there, there was some stuff that bothered me a little bit this season, especially with the Pittis situation, uh, which I, I thought it was a little bit, uh, favored in every decision. Uh, and I was vocal about that and they were, they were okay with that. You know, uh, 
I think they, I think they, they respect your uh, opinion. They respect their fighter, and they are a really, really nice team uh, backstage. Uh, people that we don't see, but they are there, and they, they are truly nice people, and that's that's how I feel about that. I think uh, I've never been that happy in a in a promotion. Yes. So yeah, EFL is a uh, is a uh, is really great for me. I think right now. Well, if you've never been that happy in the promotion, I feel like you're going to get even happier if that million-dollar check is handed to you uh, after the finals of the lightweight championship. Uh, congratulations on all your success. And, and again, my condolences to you and the, the TriStar team for the loss of Elias. Obviously, a tough week for all of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. A huge thanks to our guests, Corey Sanhagen, Tanner Bozer, Marc-Andre Berrio, and Olivier Aubin-Mercier for joining me on the show this week. For all of my content, you can check out Aaron.Report. Uh, and I appreciate you tuning into the show. Obviously a tough one to do because uh, of the passing of Elias Theodoru. But in his spirit, I will sign off by saying, be well, be kind, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.